This is Liz Colburn, host of The Morning Uplift. Thanks for listening to the following broadcast on Public House Media. This is Katie, co-host of Coffee with Keith and Katie here on Public House Media. Once you are done with this episode, I hope you'll come check out my show, Coffee with Keith and Katie, where we talk about the adventures of our daily lives and relationships. A new show comes out every Tuesday and Friday at 8.30 p.m. Central. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode of Coffee with Keith and Katie. Thanks again for checking out the following broadcast on Public House Media. The latest headlines. If they go out and wipe the floor with the Texans, I might buy in. The insightful interviews. Whitney McIntosh, SB Nation. I was more impressed with John Carlo, especially when you consider Aaron Judge's all-star squad. The hottest takes. Yeah, Saquon Barkley had a great game against Iowa, but he hasn't done much. Can all be found on Press, Press Row. Row. Here's your host. It's clearly time for a change. It's only a matter of time before it happens. Christian Heimel. What is up, everybody, and welcome into March Madness, which is going to be a pretty exciting and pretty and fun month here in the world of sports as we get set for March and the conference tournament's underway just a little bit. We've had the Big Ten uh, conference tournament get underway there in New York. We've had a number of others really kind of just get set to pick up and get ready to rock here uh, as we get set for the NCAA Tournament Selection Sunday, just about 10 days away here, and obviously college basketball marred with what has been happening uh, with this FBI investigation, the FBI scandal. We've seen it uh, really since the season began all the way back in October, and it's going to be a big topic of discussion here today. Uh, we're going to have Adam Zagoria of zagsblog.com as well as the New York Times. He's going to join us here in a little bit to talk a lot about what is happening there uh, in that world and 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 how things are progressing uh, throughout here. But, I mean, just to give you a recap, I mean, this all started again all the way back uh, in October when 10 people, including uh, four assistant coaches, were arrested for wire fraud, bribery, uh, as part of the corruption into this world uh, that we live in, uh, in college basketball recruiting. And then... Uh, Rick Pitino ended up getting fired from Louisville. Tom Jurich got fired from Louisville, the athletic director, even though neither of them uh, were explicitly named in any of this. Uh, and then we kind of just started basketball off as, as usual. And then last Friday, uh, Pete Thamel and Pat Forty at, at Yahoo Sports, who broke the story originally in um, in October, mentioned again, and, and they come out here now with more information, including names of players and schools and 25 players implicated into it. Uh, a number of schools as well. Current players implicated Miles Bridges uh, at Michigan State, Wendell Carter Jr. at Duke, uh, Brian Bowen at uh, South Carolina, who was the whole part of uh, the Louisville issue that got Patino and Jurich fired. So you had a number of players already uh, implicated, former players. Uh, Isaiah Whitehead getting something like $36,000 when he was at Seton Hall. Um, Bam Adebayo getting a couple hundred there. Uh, Miles Bridges got apparently was named uh, his his family had dinner with an agent and again that's what all this stems from is Andy Miller uh, and the ASM Sports Agency he has since had his 
uh, license revoked. He can no longer be a, a, an agent. Uh, Chris Dawkins as well is involved in this. Um, and it's, it's just so strange to me. And, and that's where a lot of this is, is on these shoe companies, as we've talked about before, these agencies going after these kids and trying to bribe them essentially to become a client of theirs once they reach the NBA. And then it got even weirder on Friday night, and that was when Sean Miller, the head coach of Arizona, was implicated um, a wiretap. The FBI had him uh, uh, on tape saying uh, he's going to be paying $100,000 to DeAndre Ayton, their recruit. Uh, Miller did not coach, has not coached uh, since then. He still has his job. I don't understand how or why. He still has his job. DeAndre Ayton is allowed to play. Miles Bridges had to pay $40 uh, to a charity of his choice. He gets to play. Uh, Wendell Carter and Duke have gone through their process. He apparently is eligible to play. But no matter your thoughts on all of this and whether or not student-athletes should be paid or anything, here's my biggest problem with all of this, and I mentioned this all the way back in October, is the fact that when it comes out, I don't blame the kids. I really don't. I mean, when you think about it, if you're an 18-, 19-year-old kid and someone comes in and says, hey, I'm going to give you $26,000 up front, no strings attached, but when you're done with college and you make it to the NBA, you got to sign with my agency. Like, that's the only string. Okay, cool, fine, I'll take that money. I can always, I'm going to be making more than that as soon as I get to the NBA anyway. Or if you sit there and say, hey, you know what, my school's making $6 billion off of me uh, and, and the way that I play with the Nike deals and the Under Armour deals and and uh, jersey sales and all that stuff, ticket sales, why shouldn't I make a little bit of a cut? I don't blame the kids for that. I don't. What I blame are these agents, these, um, you, you know, uh, Jim Gatto uh, of, of Adidas. I blame those people, the agents, the shoe companies, the athletic apparel companies who sit there and go, you know what, Th- these are grown men, 45, you know, mid-40s, whatever, however old they may be. They're grown men essentially preying on these kids and whether they come from money or not, whether they are in the best of circumstances from a socioeconomic standpoint or not, at, at the very basis of this all, it's bribery, it's coercion, it's human trafficking, saying, hey, I'm going to pay this kid $500,000, you know, $50,000, so that in three years or whatever it is, he becomes my client and, and makes me more money. That That's where I have the problem is because it's starting to get now to these younger kids, and, and even these AAU companies, AAU teams have these uh, shoe deals with Nike, with Under Armour, you know, and, and I tell you what, I, he hasn't been brought up in this conversation, thank God, but I guarantee you, you know, who's to say LeVar Ball and, and the big baller brand, they're going to be involved in this at some point or another because he's given all of his kids, his AAU kids, shoes and jerseys and athletic apparel, and as soon as he gets one idiot, uh, you know, AD to, to join in and, and Big Baller Brand becomes the official uh, athletic apparel supplier of, let's just say, UCLA for the hell of it, 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 that becomes so much more of an issue. So that's where I have the problem. Now, the idea uh, of, of kids getting paid and student-athletes getting paid, and we have a brand-new show here on Public House Media called The Cheap Seats, which airs every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, show that I produce, but I also host on Mondays, uh, with John Lauder, a good buddy of mine, and we talked about this earlier this week, you already are paying the players in a way from a scholarship standpoint because this is the problem. We talk about paying the players, and everybody goes, oh, you can't pay the players because it's not going to be equal pay for everybody. It's not going to be uh, you know, the, the only sports that really make the money are the ones who should be getting paid. Guess what? It, it's already a pay system. You're just paying them in terms of how much your scholarship is. You think every single kid 
on Michigan State, on Villanova, on Kentucky is getting a full ride? No, not every single one of them. Uh, just like the softball players, the the swimmers, the gymnastics athletes, they're not getting a full ride scholarship, not every single one. It's a different percentage for each student athlete. And so to tell me that you can't pay them, you already are in the way of a scholarship. It's just not actual money. Now, here's what I think can happen. A couple of things. I mean, number one, you can do what base you can get rid of the one and done rule, which is an NBA issue. Uh, you can get rid of the one and done and let kids like, you know, uh, Wendell Carter, Marvin Bagley, uh, DeAndre Ayton, you can let them come right out of high school and into the NBA, which, you know, LeBron James did and Kevin Garnett and Kobe Bryant. And, and we talk about those three all the time because they were the last real ones. I mean, Kevin Durant could have gone out of high school. Carmelo Anthony could have gone right out of high school. But the NBA had their one-and-done rule. They wanted you to play a, a year in college basketball. But realistically, those one-and-done kids, they're going to school for four months because once it gets to December and they've become eligible, they're not going to class that second semester. Are you kidding me? If they know that they've already signed with an agent. So the one-and-done rule to me is stupid in general because basketball is probably the only real sport where an 18-year-old uh, could really match up with the, the pros currently. You can't do it in football. You certainly can't do it in hockey. I mean, some kids are, are incredible. Jack Eichel, you know, Connor McDavid, some of them are freak athletes. Same way in baseball. But you could do a combination of things here. I think the first thing is you got to get rid of the one-and-done rule. Whether that means it becomes an option, like baseball has it, where you can be drafted out of high school, or you can, as soon as you sign your national letter of intent, you become a student athlete and you're not eligible to be drafted until, you know, the your junior year. Um, or like hockey where they can draft you as a sophomore, but you're not able to play. They maintain your rights until you're eligible to play uh, after your junior season, fine. Or what they really, really need to do too is they need to find a way to really ramp up the G League. Their developmental league needs to become better, put more money into it. And then that way, if a kid does get drafted out of high school, he can go play in the G League until he's ready. Right now, all the G League is, is it's an opportunity, it's like, it's like community college for, for basketball players. It's a place to go, maybe grow, get your name out there, say that you're a professional athlete, but you're really not going anywhere. It's the minor leagues, but not really the minors for you know the NBA. Baseball has obviously the minor leagues. Hockey has the AHL, the ECHL, where it's actually legitimate, and, and there's enough of them where there's some money at least maybe coming in. So you, you need to build up the G League, the developmental league, whatever you want to call it. You need to get rid of the one-and-done rule. You need to have some sort of option. And then here's the interesting part. I heard Seth Greenberg say this uh, last week. This is interesting. Give the kids an option. Say, you know, like a Miles Bridges. He's getting recruited, and he's got a chance. He can say he can negotiate a contract, or he can take a full-ride scholarship. But if he takes a scholarship, he, he has to follow the same rules as the NCAA. That too, you know, those type of things. Or maybe you do it like in Europe with soccer. I mean, how many of these soccer clubs have 14, 15, 16-year-old developmental organizations within them? What's wrong with a 14-year-old who's playing AAU ball to sign with an agent, uh, and then he doesn't end up going to college, but he's part of, let's say, the Cavaliers uh, youth developmental program, and at 18, he becomes eligible to actually play in the NBA, but until then, for four years, he's as part of their training program, similar to soccer. That's, it's just an idea that we're throwing out there, but what we have now 
is false. It's fraudulent. The idea of amateurism doesn't actually exist, and we need to stop pretending that it does. Mark Emmert needs to stop pretending that it does. Adam Silver needs to stop pretending because we know that these kids should be getting paid. I don't think there's a single person on this planet that truly, firmly, 100% believes that these kids who are having billions made off of their performance, they don't see a single penny of that, believe it's right. I guarantee there's not a single person who believes that. Yes, you're getting a free education. I Not all of them are getting the free education, though. So unless you're going to give every single student athlete from the player of the year in college basketball to the Heisman Trophy winner in football to the 25th guy on the roster in baseball at a JUCO school, unless you're going to do that, you cannot tell me that it's unfair to pay the players because not every single kid gets the same exact benefit. So there's got to be a way to fix this. There's got to be a way to make things uh, more, I guess, believable, maybe not even right, just believable that the NCAA is trying to do something because the idea of amateurism is so fake, it's so dumb, and there's no reason why we need to continue on with this charade, this facade that these kids are students first instead of student-athletes. Most of them, yes, are, and it's great that they get an education, and that's tremendous for them. They've earned that, similar in the way that an academic genius can get a full-ride scholarship for academics. But at the same time, you've got, you can't tell me that every single kid who plays a Division One sport or an NCAA sport gets the same benefit. You can't tell me that. And then, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable to think that because they don't. They really don't get that. So something's got to be done. I personally think you got to go the way of baseball. You're drafted out of high school or you're not draft eligible until you're after your junior season. Keep the kids there. And then if you they should be getting some sort of percentage. They really should. I don't know what it is. I've always thought this is an interesting idea that I've just randomly toyed in my head. Say a kid signs a contract where he's going to get a certain percentage of jersey sales, of ticket sales, of uh, the the money made from TV deals. Uh, because I mean, how much money is March Madness? You know, for for Turner Sports, I mean, that's a multi billion dollar thing a year. So these kids should get a percentage of that, but they don't actually get it. They can't spend it and use it until they complete their degree. You know, let's say you know, Miles Bridges and Tom Izzo goes, you know what, all right, here, here, Miles, we think we're going to offer you a four-year contract for $260,000. After you complete your four years here, you got your degree as Michigan State, you're an alum, you'll get your 260000 If you leave early, yeah, if you leave after your sophomore year, you get $100,000. Uh, but there are team incentives for winning the Big Ten tournament, for winning the NCAA, for getting to the Final Four, those type of things. Why wouldn't that be a problem? And then for that kid who's the you know the, the 11th kid on the roster, he's you know $12,000 or $16,000 type of thing. These athletic departments, at least the big ones, they can afford it. The problem is, is you're going to have to find a way to get every single person involved, and that's almost impossible without giving them a choice. The biggest thing, though, is that the NCAA, Mark Emmert, and 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 uh, Adam Silver, the NBA, they need to come together and they need to find a way to get rid of this idea that it's pure amateurism. Because we know it's not. We have known it's it's not for decades. 
It's just finally becoming an issue uh, with the FBI getting involved. So I said it last week. I think Mark Emmert needs to resign. Uh, I really wish he'd get fired. The NCAA needs to somehow dissolve or at least come back as a legitimate governing body. But most importantly, you need to find a way, because we all know that it's a big joke, the idea of amateurism. So fix the draft rule or find a way to give these kids a cut because there's no reason. Johnny Manziel built that football stadium at Texas A&M. You think he saw a single bit of it? Absolutely not. So something's got to change soon. But the biggest thing is, it won't matter because guess what? Selection Sunday is 10 days away and we're all can't wait to fill out our brackets. It's not going to matter one iota. Adam Zagoria, zagsblog.com, New York Times. He's going to join us after the break to talk more about this. What was he most shocked by? What kind of impact will this have on March Madness? And we'll actually focus a little bit on actual basketball conference tournaments starting up this weekend. Which one is he most excited to watch with the Big Ten heading to New York City here and starting a week early for the first time. You're on Press Row. Listen to every episode and get the latest shows sent right to you. Subscribe to Press Row on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spreaker.com, and Stitcher.com. Or visit us online at www.thephmedia.com. This is Press Row with Christian Heimel, a public house media podcast. You're on Press Row, broadcasting as part of the Public House Media Network. Christian Heimel here with you. And uh, the NCAA uh, College Basketball Conference Tournament is beginning this weekend. A few of them, Selection Sunday, in just about 10 days here. Uh, but all of it, of course, rocked by the latest revelations in Yahoo Sports Report on the FBI scandal. We welcome in Adam Zagoria of ZagsBlog.com. Adam, w- we spoke to you uh, prior to the season when this all first came out uh, about Louisville and Rick Pitino and Tom Jurich and I remember asking you about how the play on the court could maybe take away some of the distraction. Prior to the Yahoo report last week, how do you think college basketball had handled the scandal throughout the entire season? Well, I mean, Christian, I think it kind of hung over the sport. You know, it was a dark cloud over the sport for a lot of the season. But, um, you know, it did kind of subside because the initial arrests and everything, that was back in September, and then there wasn't really – you know, much follow-up. Obviously, Coach Patino uh, was fired and everything that went down at Louisville. But I think people felt that, you know, another shoe or shoes were going to drop. And, you know, here it is, you know, almost March and Yahoo's dropped a, you know, a huge, uh, you know, bomb on the sport with a lot of names and a lot of high-profile players in the NBA and in college involved. And obviously, the Sean Miller thing is a, a huge story. People are waiting to see what's going to happen there. So, you know, it's it's unfortunate for the sport that this has happened just before March Madness. What was the most surprising part about last Friday for you from the Yahoo report, the names that were listed to Sean Miller and the wiretapping in Arizona? What was most surprising to you? Well, I mean, they were two different stories, right? I mean, the, the, the Yahoo thing, look, I think everybody knows that players have, you know, gotten money over the years and been getting paid. 
And that sparked a larger conversation about, you know, what should we do about it? Should we pay, should college athletes be paid? Should college basketball players be paid? You know, why is it that the NCAA is making millions of dollars and, and the players aren't? And what can we do about that? So in the, to the extent that it's sparked a larger conversation, I think that's good. But, you know, anytime you see individual players named and, um, you know, schools like Seton Hall near me and, uh, you know, all the big name schools, Duke, Kentucky, Michigan State, um, all had players involved. Now, a lot of those players have since been cleared by their schools. And, and there's a big difference between, you know, a $400 dinner that Miles Bridges' parents had and, you know, maybe like $36,000 that Isaiah Whitehead allegedly got at Seton Hall. Those are two different things. Um, but already you've had a couple guys sit out. Texas is sitting out Eric Davis. San Diego State sat out Malik Pope. But I'd say the Sean Miller thing, you know, trumps all of that. I mean, if, if it's true that a head coach is on a wiretap talking about paying a kid $100,000, you know, especially the head coach in Arizona, that's a that's a gigantic story. You mentioned players being cleared in Wendell Carter and Miles Bridges. Miles paying $40 to a charity of his choice, and, and that apparently is fine with the NCAA to get through all of that. But I guess my question becomes, who do we put blame on with all of this? I mean, can you blame an 18-year-old kid in Isaiah Whitehead for taking the kind of money? Can you blame Miles Bridges and, and, and that kind of stuff? Or where does the blame kind of go with all of this? Well, I mean, look, rules are rules, and um, you know the people that uh, violated them are going to, you know, may end up paying the price for it. But I think the, again, the bigger thing is you have a system that's broken. You know, some people think it's a, a lot of people say it's a racist system or quasi racist system. I mean, you know, I'm a big tennis guy and nobody cared that Chrissy Everett and Tracy Austin turned pro when they were 14 years old, you know? Um, and that's obviously a predominantly white sport. And nobody cares if tennis players or, or golfers turn pro when they're 14 or 15 years old. But basketball, which is obviously predominantly African-American, has a rule that you have to go to college for a year and it has an age limit. And, um, you know, I don't uh, you can't really argue with the people who, who say that's a, you know, inherently racist. So, um, again, the NCAA makes millions of dollars. The universities make money off of these kids. And then you go back to like Chris Weber, uh, you know, back in the Michigan days saying he couldn't afford to buy himself right. a pizza for dinner and his his jersey was selling in the Michigan bookstore for eighty dollars. So, um, you know, and, and, and the movie Blue Chips is, you know, what was that, nineteen ninety four? That's almost yeah. twenty five years ago. So that, so everybody knows this has been going on and you know, it's just a, a a question of how do you fix it. Maybe, you know, Gary Parrish had a pretty good column on CBS Sports about maybe you should just let kids sign with agents early and Marvin Bagley could sign with an agent and negotiate a $2 million deal with Nike and still go to Duke. I mean, I, you know, I think that would present other problems. It would, it would be messy. Mm -hmm. um, but, but maybe that's one way to go. Speaking with Adam Zagori of Zagsblog.com as well as uh, right for the New York Times here on Press Row. Uh, I want to kind of, I know this is going to be a bit of a loaded question to ask here, but I've heard you mentioned Gary Parish, Seth Greenberg last week. I heard him say, what about giving players the option if you could sign a contract where you make money off your likeness or you get the scholarship? We've heard people talk about getting rid of the one and dones. We've heard the idea of turning it into like baseball where you could come out of high school or you have to wait until after your junior year to become eligible. Is there a happy medium or, or a, a legitimate 
fix for this as of right now, or is this going to take a lot of time? Well, I look at it. All that stuff would have to be collectively bargained, um, you know, by the NBA Players Association and the NBA. That remember the one and done rule—that's an NBA rule. That's not. Uh, that has nothing to do with the NCAA. It's an NBA rule. Um, and again, it it seems pretty arbitrary and unfair to just tell kids they have to be 19 and go to college for a year. So I think I think you probably should get rid of one and done, and then you know maybe have some type of baseball rule where. Um, you know, if you don't go to school in the in the first, um, you know, then you have to stay in school for a couple of years, and you know, maybe a school can draft, maybe a team can draft you, but you still they retain your rights, and you still go to college for a couple of years. <clears throat> I mean, I think you know it's important to keep in mind the one and done thing really only impacts a very small number of people, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the the guys like LeBron James and Kobe and Kevin Garnett, <clears throat> guys who went straight from high school to the NBA and had an impact, you know, those guys are athletic freaks and a very small percentage of the people, even, even the guys in this draft, maybe there'd be four or five guys, right? Marvin Bagley, Muhammad Bamba, Michael Porter, uh, guys like that, DeAndre Ayton, who could go into the league right away. But even then they're not going to go in there and dominate. You know, it's a, it's a man's league. Uh, they'd go in there and play. And I think they should have that right. If they're, if their skill set dictates it. Speaking with Adam Zagoria here on Press Row, you had a column uh, the other day in the New York Times about the Big Ten Championship. They're going a, a week early. They're changing things up here with their conference tournament uh, and, of course, playing in New York. But what have been some of, I guess, the, the apprehensions a little bit of the conference in playing their tournament a week early? Well, you know, it's kind of funny, right, because it's March Madness. You know, the Big Ten is going to start playing tonight at the Garden. You know, they – they compressed their schedule so they could get the garden a week early before the big East. And, um, you know, they started some of their conference games in December and then they resumed them in January. And I think Jim Delaney, the, you know, conference commissioner, as I, I wrote in my story, expressed some misgivings about that and said he wouldn't do it again. Um, and, you know, the story I wrote is just kind of funny about, you know, what, what are these guys going to do? I mean, if they lose, if Michigan state or Purdue or Ohio state or somebody, loses on Friday at the Garden, they're going to have two weeks off before they play in the NCAA tournament. And the NCAA tournament doesn't start till March 15th for mm-hmm. them. So it's like, what do you do? And John Beeline was joking that at Richmond, he took his team's fishing and he played wiffle ball with them. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they have like mini training camps or scrimmages or, you know, what those four or five Big Ten teams will do. Uh, but, you know, it's exciting in New York City. We're going to have the Big Ten, and then next week we're going to have the Big East and the ACC all in New York. What's going to be the most intriguing conference tournament for you? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, you know, I think the Big Ten I think the Big Ten will be interesting. I think, you know, Michigan State and Purdue are probably the favorites, but Ohio State, you know, obviously had a great year under Chris Holtman, who – you know, how about Chris Holtman? He was the big East coach of the year mm-hmm. a year ago at Butler and he switches leagues. He's picked 11th in the big 10 and he, you know, they finished second. So he's big East and big 10 coach of the year back to back. You know, I think the big East tournament will be fun because um, Xavier right now has the inside track to win the league regular season title, but you know, it's pretty much been Villanova's league for the last four years. And then you have teams like Providence and, 
uh, Seton Hall that are really capable of beating anybody on, on a given night. And, you know, they're still fighting for the NCAA tournament provinces. So uh, I think both of those will be interesting. Last thing I want to ask you, and again, we're speaking with Adam Zagoria. Zay. Yeah, and then, and then also, you know, obviously also the SEC, right? Mm-hmm. For, for years, Kentucky is, uh, you know, it's been kind of Kentucky's league. But this year you got, you know, you got Auburn and Alabama, Texas A&M. So the SEC is, you know, pretty wide open. With regards to that, I mean, the SEC has kind of been, I guess, a microcosm of this season in in the nation. Is is it is it parity? Is it teams? You know, is, is it just the the blue bloods not being great anymore? What has been your take on the actual competition level? Just in the SEC, you mean? Or well, what? in the SEC and kind of nationally. Well, I mean, I think the dominant storyline really was that the teams that have been the best at the top of the poll are older, more experienced teams, you know, that don't have a lot of one and dones, right? I mean, Virginia, Virginia, Villanova, Purdue, Xavier, uh, these teams are at the top of the pole and, you know, they don't have a single one and done player on them, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, you know, it's obviously a down year for Kentucky. Uh, you know, when you have to replenish your roster every year, like John Calipari does with one and dones and, you know, increasingly Duke has had a lot of one and dones too. You know, some years you're going to miss fire and not have a top five or top ten team. And that's what Kentucky has this year. And it'll kind of be interesting, I think, the way Duke is rolling with all these one and dones. You know, they're going to lose Bagley and Trevon Duval and Gary Trent and all these guys. And then they're going to reload next year with R.J. Barrett and those guys. It'll be interesting to see if Duke falls off like Kentucky did one year. But, uh, yeah, I think I think the the big storyline is that the, the older experienced teams um, are the best ones. And we'll see, you know, at the final four, does it, can Duke break through with their one and dones? Can Kentucky make a run or is it going to be a, you know, Villanova, Virginia, Purdue, Xavier kind of thing. Last thing I want to ask you here uh, again. I mean, we talked about this back in October when the, the FBI probe first came out, came to light with everything. As we enter March Madness in the conference tournaments and then Selection Sunday and then ultimately the Final Four in the National Championship, how much does this recruiting scandal cast a shadow over what has become one of the biggest money makers and one of the biggest viewing events in the country? I mean, you know, in a weird way, it might spark more interest, right? I mean, pe- people, you know, there's that old expression, any, you know, any PR is good PR. <laughs> so, you know, people are going to be talking about this and it's, it's on the front page of magazines and newspapers, and uh, people are interested in the in the scandal. So that might spark some interest. Um, but hopefully, it just again provides a forum for discussion about you know what should be done. You know, you'll have the the Jay Billises and the Fran Fraschillas and the Seth Greenbergs of the world um, talking about what should be done, and you know the NCA is going to have to listen and figure things out and. And Adam Silver and the, the NBA guys are going to have to listen. Adam Zagoria, zagsblog.com, as well as the New York Times. Adam, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Christian. All right, Adam Zagoria there, zagsblog.com. And listen, it's it's this is going to be an interesting thing. And he's right. You know, there, there is that old adage of any PR is good PR. But uh, I, I think this... This March Madness is going to be one of those things because you're going to look at Miles Bridges in Michigan State, who, again, I, I picked them all the way back in the start of the season to win the national title. I picked him as the player of the year. You're going to look back, and every time you watch him, you're going to wonder, you know, well, he got paid. You know, he he got impermissible benefits or whatever. You know, Arizona and DeAndre Ayton, how far they go. Uh, if Sean Miller's allowed to coach, you're going to you're going to sit there and you're going to get a bad feeling in your stomach. It's weird. 
you know, last Friday I was out at dinner uh, and, and watching college basketball, and, and for the first time in my life, I, I looked at college basketball on the TV and I had a, a sick feeling in my stomach. It was weird, and, and it wasn't as if I was watching any of these players who who were named. I wasn't even watching uh, the the teams that were named. I can't remember who it was, but it was just one of those things where it's like you just kind of feel sick to your stomach a little bit about what is happening in college basketball and whether there's a right answer or not on how to fix it. As long as it isn't one of these quick fixes, this is something that I think there doesn't need to be a change in time for next season. There does not need to be a change quickly over the summer. This isn't something that can be done in a matter of weeks. I don't think this something can be done in a matter of months. This is something that's going to take a while to figure out. And I certainly hope that the powers that be, the NCAA, the NBA, the NBA Players Association, the Board of Governors, I certainly hope they figure it out um, because it's amateurism is, is a fraud in, in NCAA. It really is. And there's got to be a way to change things around. Um, you know, if, if, if Turner Sports can, can add the extension for March Madness to, you know, another eight years and another, you know, umpteen billion dollars, the players the, should be getting something. It's the only enterprise in this country where the main employees get nothing out of the profit uh and and whether they're whether you deem them employees or not that's what the student athletes are they're employees so something needs to be done all i know is that it really kind of puts a damper on what is one of my favorite times of the year and that is march madness conference tournaments this weekend uh the big 10 obviously now this weekend in new york and then it's literally just tournament basketball. It's nonstop basketball for the next month, uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. So hope you guys enjoy it. I know it's going to be a little bit of a weird feeling watching it, but for the most part, it's going to be fun. Uh, when we come back, we're going to touch on a lot more things, get to the weekly poll question, new segment on the show, as well as your fan questions. We'll also touch a little bit on some of the interesting notes in the NFL. The, the NFL's just gone stupid here uh, over the last week, honestly, and uh, we'll touch on all that in just a little bit on Press Row. Listen to every episode and get the latest shows sent right to you. Subscribe to Press Row on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spreaker.com, and Stitcher.com. Or visit us online at www.thephmedia.com. This is Press Row with Christian Heimel, a public house media podcast. Christian Imel back here with you guys on Press Row, and uh, that's, a, that's a great question there, Adam. What do you want from me? I'm pretty sure Roger Goodell is kind of saying the same thing here as the NFL uh, this week. Competition committee uh, com- uh, meeting earlier this week, uh, this past Tuesday, to discuss a number of different things, rule changes, um, as well as uh, some other possible things here. So, I mean, look, the, the this is just some of the dumbest things ever. The NFL does this every single year where they somehow find a way to maintain relevance, stay in the spotlight despite not having anything going on. From the time the Super Bowl concludes, the first week of February, to the draft at the end of April, it's about 8-10 weeks where the NFL just throws out random things. And it's where free agency kind of gets started a little bit. It's where trades get discussed, even though nothing becomes official until the new calendar, you know, NFL year begins uh, here this week. 
But in March, it just gets really, really ridiculous in the NFL. And there's some stupid things that have gone on here in the NFL. So we're going to touch on those here in the next couple of minutes. But the biggest ones that I want to get to is obviously the competition committee. Meeting on Tuesday, possible rule changes for what's coming up. There are some that kind of make sense. One of them is illegal contact. Um, they're going to try to reemphasize the enforcement of illegal contact uh, where it, it's it's just... The f- there, there might be taking away some of the flags to try to increase scoring. They might, they're trying to do things to make the game more exciting because the ratings went down. We know that. We know the ratings went down, and you can say for whatever it was, you can say it was because of you know protests, but I, I firmly believe a lot of it was because of the officiating and, and the fact that they don't like the targeting rule. People don't like all the flags that are happening, all the replays that are happening now, and you just want to get the game streamlined a little bit more. So I understand that. So adjusting the... Uh, reinforcement uh, of of illegal contact. There's an idea to put on uh, similar to college in the world of targeting, where you can actually go to the replay monitor and decide if it is targeting or not, which I think would be great. I, I don't understand why in the NFL we don't have the ability to go to the replay and determine if it was actually targeting before ejecting a player, because some of these hits are just clean hits. They look really bad in, in live in in real time. So if you can slow it down, it might help. I know people don't want to go back to more replays, but at the same time, who knows? I think it'd be a good thing here uh, to maybe add that element at least to it. And then you don't get as many star players complaining that, oh, that wasn't really targeting. It wasn't a hit to the head, all that stuff. But that's going to be probably one of the biggest ones that will always be talked about. And the other one is pass interference. Uh, defensive pass interference is a spot foul. But they're talking about changing that to just only being a 15-yard penalty, which I kind of like. Um, the problem is, is you're going to get a lot of cornerbacks just start tackling guys, and just when they get beat, jumping at their feet, uh, if they know they're only going to get penalized 15 yards. So I kind of like it, but at the same time, I don't. I don't think it makes sense um, there from a pass interference standpoint to do that. Where I think the NFL needs to spend a lot of time and where they're going to apparently, even the commissioner has said it, is the catch rule. Uh, They're talking about eliminating the part of the rule that requires a receiver to maintain possession while on the ground. So basically, the Des Bryant play uh, against Green Bay, Calvin Johnson against the Chicago Bears, those become catches now as opposed to an incomplete pass. And here's where I find this to be stupid. You don't come out and say that. You don't come out and say, and that's what they basically did. The NFL came out and said that the Des Bryant play should have been a completed pass and a touchdown. What does that mean? What does that do for anybody? It was three years ago. It literally means nothing. There's no reason for you to be that stupid to come out and say that, oh yeah, three years ago, we were wrong. What you do is you come out and you say, here's what the new rule is going to be. And when people start asking questions, oh, so the Des Bryant play was a catch, here's what the new rule is. You stick on that company line. You don't conjecture to the point where, people can start saying, look what the end. We know why the NFL has changed. We know why, because that was a catch. Because Jesse James, uh, the Pittsburgh tight end, right at the goal line against New England, because that was a catch and should have been a touchdown. We know why you're changing the rule. We don't need you to come out and say it, because then it makes you look stupid. I don't understand who allowed the NFL to go out and do that, because it's, it's an absolute disgusting and stupid idea that they went ahead and did that. So... Uh, Poor job by them, in my opinion, uh, to, to actually have to go out there and say that this is what they're going to do. Does it make sense? Yes. Is it about time? 
Hell yes. But I don't think it's necessary for them to come out and say what they're trying to do. We know what you're trying to do. We know why you're trying to do it. Here's the problem, though. It's not going to be an easy thing. I, I do think, and we've talked about this before, I do think there needs to be, when it comes to the end zone, it's got to be a little bit different. You know, I'm complete, I'm actually fine with the whole surviving the ground thing. I really am. I, I get it. It, it. it makes sense to me. What I don't under, the part I don't understand is if a ground if the ground can't cause a fumble, how can it cause an incompletion? If you've already got possession, how can it? That's the part I don't get. So I'm fine with eliminating the going to the ground rule. But if you keep it, what I think needs to happen is you need to make it a little bit different when it comes to the end zone. As soon as you cross, as soon as that ball breaks the plane, it's a dead ball. You know, like like a running back can't jump over, you know, bow over the top in, in, in you know Auburn. Uh, 30 years ago, you know, you get these guys who jump up, Jerome Bettis, Mike Allstott, those guys who are one yard uh, and a cloud of dust touchdown type guys, you can't just jump and put the ball over and have it swatted away and it's a fumble because as soon as it breaks the plane, it's a touchdown. Why is it different when it comes time for a catch? That's why the Jesse James play doesn't make any sense to me. If you catch it, the ball has broken the plane of the goal line, you have two feet in bounds. That's a touchdown. Plays over immediately. You don't need to survive the ground. You don't need because the running back doesn't need to survive the ground. He can just basically poke the, the the head of the football right onto that line. It's breaking the plane and it's a touchdown. So I we've made it too complicated, and that's the problem. Is it becomes so frustrating, and I think that's why the ratings were down more than anything else uh, because the referees made it difficult. The NFL made it difficult on the referees. So. It's, it's just stupid. And that's not even the biggest stupid thing the NFL has done this year or this week. I mean, look, this week, you're looking at Minnesota, possibly, they've got three quarterbacks on their roster. They've got Case Keenum, who was an MVP candidate and almost went to the Super Bowl. You got Teddy Bridgewater, who, if he's able to survive on that knee, will be very, very solid. Sam Bradford, another one who performed admirably. And they're talking about all three of them getting rid of to get Kirk Cousins, who's now a free agent. And Kirk is going to have a lot of people gunning for him. The Vikings are literally, are, for the lack of a better way, saying that they're going to get rid and not go after Teddy Bridgewater and Case Keenum to try to keep them, or they're going to bypass having them already on the roster and spend more money on Kirk Cousins. I don't understand why. It doesn't make any sense to me. But some people, for whatever reason, really believe this makes sense. I, it doesn't to me. It really doesn't. They're not going to use the franchise tag on Case Keenum, which is completely fine. But they're going to let Teddy Bridgewater go and be a free agent. And they're going to try to go get Kirk Cousins. If Does Kirk Cousins make them a, a another Super Bowl caliber team? I think so, yeah. Adam Thielen really came up The biggest thing you got to remember about Minnesota last year is the fact that, number one, they couldn't really win out in the cold, as evidenced by the NFC Championship game when they got throttled by the Eagles. Their defense wasn't that great down the stretch, so they need to shore that up a little bit. They're going to lose their offensive coordinator in Pat Shermer, and who knows if it's Case Keenum, who knows if it's Pat Shermer, who knows if it's their quarterback coach. That really was the, the, the key to it all. But where I think Kirk Cousins, and they did it without Dalvin Cook too, they're injured running back. So there's a lot of pieces coming back from Minnesota. Could Cousins be one of those guys that helps them uh, get to a Super Bowl, win a Super Bowl, win another NFC North crown? Yes. Do I think where 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 should he go? I'll tell you what I, I've been saying this forever. Kirk Cousins need to go to Arizona. 
You got Larry Fitzgerald, Hall of Famer. You got David Johnson. He'll be back off the injury. A tremendous offense there. And then you got a, a brand new head coach. Solid defense. It, I don't understand why the Vikings are doing this. Why? This is the old adage of if it isn't broke, don't fix it. And that's the truth. Don't f- try to fix this in Minnesota. You got a great thing going. See what you got here. And and who knows? You're not going to sp- don't need you don't need to spend 90 million dollars to get Kirk Cousins. When if you really want to go out and get a quarterback, you can find one in this draft. There are plenty of them for you to go out and give it a shot. I don't understand that. That makes no sense to me. The other thing that makes is just dumb. I don't know if it makes it makes sense, I guess, but it's just dumb and childish and, and the epitome of Roger Goodell. And that is Goodell suing Jerry Jones for $2 million, seeking the reimbursement of legal fees from the whole Zeke Elliott issue. This is ridiculous. This is so dumb. Uh, the NFL is seeking in excess of $2 million from Jerry Jones, citing a resolution added to the NFL in 1997 that says if an owner participates in bringing litigation against other owners, he must reimburse them for the legal fees. Jones threatened to sue the NFL, but never made a filing. It, so what are you trying to get back here? Like, is this is this Goodell's way of punishing Jerry Jones? Because, I mean, you, you got the Patriots, you know, for Deflategate, you, you got Robert Kraft to give a million dollars or something like that. So this is just his way of shoving it to Jerry Jones. This is so dumb and so childish, but this is exactly what the NFL does. They don't care about actually making... Uh, the right decision. They care about egos. They care about who's got the biggest wallet, who's got the biggest bank statement. That's what's embarrassing about all of this and why this is so beyond idiotic. It's not even really worth talking about, but we're going to because it's Jerry Jones, who is the most vocal owner in the NFL. He's just as bad as Mark Cuban is with the Dallas Mavericks. And it's Roger Goodell, who's somehow found a way to be the most hated commissioner in uh, American pro sports. And that's taking it away from a guy in Gary Bettman who gets booed every single time he wakes up in the morning. I'm sure that's his alarm clock is just people booing him. But this is so unbelievably childish. And yet you can't expect anything less than that from the NFL, from Jerry Jones, from Roger Goodell. So this is a thing that's going to play out over the next couple of weeks. And it's going to just be uh, something that... It, it it's it's astounding to me that we have this as a big-time issue. It shouldn't be that surprising to me. It is for some reason, and I can't stand it because it bothers me that this is how the NFL maintains their status as the most popular league right now because it's, it's a soap opera. That's what the NFL is. It's a big-time soap opera. It's worse than than LeBron going dark on social media, than Kyrie Irving throwing shade at LeBron or Kevin Durant or, or at this, doing the same to Russell Westbrook. It's so dumb and childish and high schoolish that it, it it blows my mind and yet at the same time it makes complete and total sense because that is the way the NFL operates. Instead of actually, you know, doing some good by having these players become part become social activists, supporting the players and being social activists. We're going to sue one of our own owners $2 million because he was trying to fight for his player and because it left a bad taste in your mouth. Boo freaking who, Goodell. Move on. You just got a 50, you know, you just got an insane contract that for whatever reason, I don't know why, you know, where he's got like health insurance for life and a private plane and all this other crap which makes no sense because he doesn't deserve a single dime of it, yet he's going to go out there and sue everything for 
for Jerry Jones because he didn't like the fact that he came after him and tried to get Zeke Elliott to be able to play after the court ruled that there was no reason and there was going to be no domestic abuse filings or, or charges or case against Ezekiel Elliott. But that's Roger Goodell, and that's the NFL, because the NFL is stupid. It, it really, really is. It's so dumb, and yet it is, it's, it's like this thing with college basketball. It's so dumb to have these conversations, yet it's not going to matter whatsoever. It, it really isn't, which is the unbelievably disappointing part in all of this. Un- unbelievable. And, and and the season doesn't even start for another few months. We got the draft in two in two months. So I'm sure there's plenty more stupid things that the NFL can figure out a way to stay relevant during the offseason. Almost done here on Press Row. When we come back, uh, your f- listener questions as always. And then uh, a new segment to the show that's something we're doing on social media. Our, our weekly social media poll centers around who else but LeBron James. And we'll touch on that as well when we return on Press Row. Want to be part of the show? Go to Facebook and search Press Row Podcast Public House Media. Or find us on Twitter and Instagram at Press Row PHM. You can also email the program Press Row PHM at gmail.com. This is Press Row with Christian Heimel, a Public House Media podcast. Last few minutes here on Press Row. Christian Imel here with you, broadcasting as part of the Public House Media Network. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review. Find us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spreaker.com, Stitcher.com, as well as thephmedia.com. You can also find us on social media, Facebook, Press Row Podcast, Dash Public House Media, Twitter and Instagram, at Press Row PHM. Find us, uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Chris Heimel, C-H-R-I-S. H-E-I-M-A-L-L. You can always email the show as well, PressRowPHM at gmail.com. Had a brand new uh, feature, I guess, for for the show, which is on our social media pages, Twitter and Facebook. Uh, We're going to be doing weekly poll questions now coming out. Some of the biggest stories that happen over the weekend, Monday morning, we'll put a poll question out there for you and let you guys decide in our first one, sending around LeBron James over the weekend, uh, making comments saying that how the game uh, they, the referees protect shooters uh, more than they do a guy who drives like him. They're saying there's no reason I should be going to the line four times a game. I drive to the basket. They protect shooters. Uh, and we put it out to you. What do you think? Do, do, does the NBA officials, do they protect shooters, or is LeBron just being a little bit of a crybaby? And 58% of you think he's being a bit of a crybaby. I, I'm going to disagree with you guys. I mean, I know it's not a small major or minority, but I'm going to disagree with you guys. Listen, LeBron gets officiated different than anybody else in the NBA because of how big he is because of how strong and fast and physical he can be he does get officiated differently than anybody else it's an insane thing to think of in the fact that this guy who drives to the basket as often as he does isn't averaging that many free free throw attempts I mean so far in in his career he averages eight free throw attempts a game Eight free throw attempts a game. So far this year, he's averaging six attempts a game. That's the lowest since his rookie year when it was 5.8 assists per game. Uh, in his third season, he averaged uh, 10 free throw attempts a game 
uh, on a guy who his field goal percentage went up to 48%. You can infer that by saying, you know, he took more shots. Uh, yeah, he, he was taking more shots inside the paint than he was in his entire career that year. Uh, 18% of his shots were two-pointers. This year, that percentage is down to 14%. He's, he's an incredibly improved jump shooter over the course of his career. You can look at the numbers. Uh, he's gotten so much better at it um, than what he was when he started. But it, it's absolutely true, I think, that he is really being officiated differently than anybody else because you look at some of the guys who go to the basket a lot, and they're obviously the bigger guys, the prototypical centers like a Giannis Antetokounmpo or um, uh, Boogie Cousins or Anthony Davis. Uh, those guys, Al Horford, um, you know Draymond Green, they go to the bat. Joel Embiid, they're there more. But LeBron drives; he gets hit on every single play. And just because he's built like a Mack truck and he doesn't go down like everybody else does, like, doesn't go down like James Harden would. You know, Harden takes a lot of free throws, and, and he drives to the basket a bunch. He's also a great outside shooter, but he's also not built like LeBron James. James is six eight, two fifty. That's a linebacker playing, you know, small forward. So. Just because he doesn't get knocked to the ground doesn't mean it's not a foul. That's the problem. The officials think, and I remember this happening, what was it, two years ago, when some official told Cam Newton that he wasn't experienced enough or veteran enough to get that kind of call or that he's too big to get that kind of Like Just because someone is a different size, is bigger than somebody else, or he's been in the league longer doesn't mean they should be getting treated every differently. But that's the problem. It happens in the NBA more than anybody, any other league where officials favor the veterans. They favor certain guys uh, more than anybody else. So I, I disagree with you all. I understand a lot of people hate LeBron James, and at some point you're going to have to get over that because guess what? The guy's got 8,000 rebounds, 8,000 assists, and over 30,000 points. He's going to become, it statistically, and I don't care how many people get upset when I say this, he is going to become the greatest player statistically of all time in the NBA. And I hope you all can enjoy what he's given us throughout his career because he's played he's in his 11th season right now 33 years or excuse me uh, his 15th season right now 11 with Cleveland 4 with Miami if he plays another 5 years he's going to be the all time leading scorer he's going to be in the top 3 in terms of assists who knows how high he's going to get up on the rebounding list as well like he's going to be one of the greatest if not the greatest statistical player of all time and yet we're going to hate him because he's not Jordan. That's a dumb reason to hate somebody. He's six, or he's me. He's uh, sixth right now active in terms of rebounding behind Dirk, Dwight Howard, Pau Gasol, Zach Randolph, Tyson Chandler. You look at him and where he could go in his career if he plays five more years. Plays five more years averaging, let's see, what's he been averaging uh, over the course of his career per season? Uh, da, 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 da. It looks like... He's been averaging seven rebounds a game. I don't know what that averages out to a year. Uh, let's see if I can find the exact number here. He's been something like, yeah, let's just say 550 rebounds in his career, a, a season. He plays five more. He's got another 2,000 or so there. He's going to be up there in, in terms of career rebounding, too. I mean, he's unbelievable in terms of what he's able to do uh, actively. I mean, he's not going to catch Wilt with 24,000. He's not going to get there. But you know what? He's going to get to 10,000 rebounds. He's going to get to 10,000 assists. He's going to be the all-time scoring leader by the time his career is over. And yet we're going to hate him just because he's not Jordan.
It's a dumb thing to do. So you may think he's a he's a crybaby. I think he's absolutely correct. I think the officials uh, officiate him a completely different way. We'll check for our next poll question on Monday, guys, after the weekend here in sports. Get to some of your questions here, a couple of them. Uh, one of them, uh, Mike in Texas. Uh, the Rangers went after and signed Tim Lincecum. How much do you think he can actually help? Listen, if, if he's what we saw, uh, I mean, the guy was throwing in the low 90s again. Uh, if, if that's what we saw and, and that's what we're going to get, he's going to be a lot of fun to watch this year, and I'm really kind of excited for it. Uh, what does he do in that rotation? I don't really know. Um, it's been a while since he's pitched against major leaguers, but uh, he threw in front of 15, 20 teams, uh, 93 mile an hour, averaging between 90 and 92. His hip injury seems to be gone. He's he's definitely a much stronger individual. He looks it, but I think uh, I think he'll be pretty decent. It, it the problem is with that rotation. He's going to get into the majors, and I would love for that to happen. Uh, he might even be a, a closer. Who knows? Uh, he could be great in that role. Um, there's a lot of possibility for him in Texas. It's if they use him correctly. I don't think he's going to become that top-of-the-line Cy Young award-winning uh, starter that we saw with him in the Giants. But could he be a serviceable reliever, maybe a great setup guy, maybe even an all-star closer? Absolutely. I think it'd be great to see. I'm really rooting for Tim Linscom, and, and I hope uh, I hope it actually happens here uh, for him. Uh, let's see. Joseph here in Pennsylvania. Uh, it seems as though the U.S. is losing support for its World Cup bid in 2026. Would you be disappointed if the U.S. did not host um, like I set Blatter, the, the former head of FIFA, uh, put his vote in for Morocco or, or gave his support at least publicly to Morocco instead of North America. Um, it looks as though Morocco is going to take it, uh, in 2026. I, I wouldn't be disappointed. I think in order to grow soccer, you don't need the world cup here. You need to have guys like Christian Pulisic actually performing well on the world stage. You need to have the team perform well on the world stage, and you need money to be put into the youth programs. That's where I really think uh, the U.S. needs to be able to succeed when it comes time for a, uh, you know, for that, when it comes time for them to be able to actually do something on the world stage in the world of soccer. So having the World Cup here would be great. I know uh, when you look back at it, the Women's World Cup, Brandy Chastain and them, I think they did a tremendous job in helping to grow women's soccer uh, at that point in the, in the 90s, but I don't think having the World Cup here would be a huge thing for the growth of American soccer. I, I just don't. And, and I'm sorry if people are upset by that, but um, you know I'm not going to be disappointed if they don't get the World Cup bid. I think it'll just prove to show you that you know even more corrupt maybe than the uh, than the NCAA is the uh, is FIFA. I, I think that might be the biggest one too. So who who knows? But uh, it could be. Um, we'll see exactly what happens there. I wouldn't be disappointed at all. Uh, I know some people would. I, I, I would want to go see it. Absolutely, yes. I think it could be a lot of fun to go. Um, but at the same time, who, who knows? Uh, it, it, it wouldn't be an issue for me uh, whatsoever if you went through and you didn't have the World Cup here uh, in the United States. I would not be concerned at all with regards to that. But it's just how it is, and, and I know some people are going to be upset, but um, for the most part, who knows, who cares? Uh, that's just kind of my thought because I don't think there's anybody, you know, anybody who's really that upset about not having the World Cup here in the United States, just how I feel about it. So 
uh, that's my take on it. I'm sure you guys all have different opinions, but um, we'll see what happens going forward for the rest of, uh, of the World Cup and see what happens. As always, appreciate your guys' questions. You can find us on social media, Facebook, Press Row Podcast, Dash Public House Media. Of course, you can also uh, find us on Twitter and Instagram, at Press Row PHM on both of those. Email the show, PressRowPHM at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter, at Chris Heimel, C-H-R-I-S-H-E-I-M-A-L-L. Always enjoy interacting with you guys. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, share us with your friends all over the place on uh, social media. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spreaker.com, Stitcher.com, and, of course, thephmedia.com. Enjoy conference tournament weekend here, everybody. The start of it, March Madness is officially upon us. Big thanks to Adam Zagoria of Zagsblog.com and the New York Times for joining us here this week uh, to break down the scandal and how it will actually affect what we see on the hardwood. Uh, Who knows, because I'm still going to watch it. But until then, I'm Christian Heimel, and as always, I'll see you on Press Row.